another episode of small doses and you know this year we have just continued to have dope guests and particularly this month of the black history of things and so i'm very excited to round out this black history month with today's guest uh rio cortez author of children's book the abcs of black history and this episode side effects of teach the babies (laughs) and you know i realized that um this was, I, I felt like this was a necessary episode because when we talk about Black History Month, for a lot of us, you know, unless we are kind of like in school, you know, it's just kind of a thing we talk about. But when you're in school, it's like an actual like curriculum and, you know, it's a centerpiece. And we are greatly, I believe, advancing the way that we're teaching, you know, children, not just during Black History Month, but year round about Black history, about culture and ethnicity, et cetera, by nature of the way the world is changing. And so Rio here is entering this conversation as a mother, as an author, as uh, someone who works within historical spaces like the Schomburg Library, and as a Harlemite. So so welcome, Rio. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me this Black History Month. And congratulations on being a New York Times bestseller. And that's like soups mage. Soups <laughs> mage. Um, so first off, just tell me like, what is it about kids that you, what is it about like the topic of Black history and connect that made you say like, I need to connect this to kids to write this book? Yeah, well, I think working at the Schomburg Center and I was buying books for them. And so I was surrounded by books about Black history and archives about incredible people in Black history. And a lot of them I was just not, I just wasn't familiar with when I was a kid. And so I just thought like how different my life might have been if I had access to some of these stories earlier on. And there are, like you said, like so many more incredible children's books addressing Black history than there existed when I was a student. Um, But I also, I was pregnant with my daughter and I was thinking a lot about what she would be learning about Black history. And so that's sort of why I wanted to do it. But there are folks in in this book like Marsha P. Johnson and Bayard Rustin and um, folks from the diaspora that I wasn't feeling like a lot of queer folks in Blackness were represented, a lot of uh, folks from the West Indies and the Caribbean islands. And so those were ways I felt like I could I could fit in and celebrate Black history in a way that I hadn't seen a lot of. And that's what made me think about writing it, for sure. When you were growing up as a kid, how, well, first of all, where did you grow up? Oh, well, I actually grew up in Salt Lake City, Utah. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. Specific. Very crazy. So my family is one of the first Black families to settle in the state of Utah after the Reconstruction, so after slavery ended. So they went from Louisiana, they took, you know, wagons and trains, and they went to Utah, and they were among, like, the first Black So you are the Oregon Trail. Yeah, like, Oregon Trail, the real-life Black Oregon Trail, that's... My family. Oh my god! It's so bizarre, and there's a small black community there. And I've been trying to watch Real Housewives of Salt Lake City, so I've seen Mary. I don't, you know, so I've seen they're they're out. We're out there, but (laughs) but when I was in school, I didn't learn. As you can imagine, Salt Lake City is not known for being a real center of black life or culture, and so I got very little. very little for, for not just all year long, but even for Black History Month. In my high school, I demanded that they celebrate Black History Month, which they weren't observing in my high school. So, um, I mean, and we see that Utah became the site of a whole conversation recently because one of the charter schools uh, got beat down by the parents enough to then put out a notice that you could opt out of Black History Month education. Mm-hmm shameful 
that was so shame. But in a way, I felt affirmed in that it made national news because I was like, well, people need to see, like, people need to take a look at kind of the wild stuff that is happening in education, especially in private education around Black history and places like that. So, but yeah, that was disgusting um, story. <laughs> I literally was like, what am I even... Like what? Literally, they're like, we don't want our kids to learn about black people. Like, please don't make them. <laughs> right? Can we like sign a waiver? I saw lots of good memes and jokes about opting out of white history and what that would look like for parents. And what would that look like? I mean, no one would know about Monica and Chandler and <laughs> you know Rachel and Ross. I mean, they'd just be we'd miss out on so many things. I know. Um. And so you grew up in Salt Lake City. And then how did you make it to New York? I ended up, my dad's Puerto Rican from New York. Um, so I have some family out here. And I went to college in New York. So I've been here for 18 years. Um, I live in Harlem, which is an excellent place to live. And I feel like I was talking to my, my husband, my partner is from this neighborhood in Harlem. And I was talking to him yesterday about how Harlem has always been this place where Black folks have come for freedom of expression and all kinds of community. And I feel like I took a similar trajectory <laughs> from Utah um, as a lot of a lot of folks did before me. But I've been here for a while, but I came because of school and then I stayed. But I always had a plan to leave Salt Lake. I mean, I always hatched a plan when I was young. I was like, I got to got to get out of here. So... <laughs> <laughs> I'm just picturing you at eight like, <laughs> in your room at night, just like, I got to get out of here, man. I got to, I got to figure it out. I got to find an underground railroad for me to get to New York. Um, so when we talk about teaching the babies, where do you feel like there's a space that falls short, particularly in like books, because I do see a lot of like, I'm seeing a lot more, you know, children of color, but I I will be honest. Like, I don't feel like I'm really no, like vested in the children's book space to really see like where the voids are. Yeah. Well, I think children's publishing is, so I worked in publishing for many years before going to the Schomburg Center Children's publishing has always been more progressive than adult publishing in terms of who they're trying to reach. And I'm not sure exactly why that is. I have some ideas, but picture. What are your ideas? Let me hear your ideas. Well, I think this audience is just different. So like the, the audience of children, the demographics of our children in America look different. I think they look more multiracial and general. It's just like, it's a different, it's how politicians are preparing for this next voting. It's just a different generation. I think there's a different racial demographic that's coming up um, than exists already as readers. And so children's publishing has to speak to that future in a way that adult publishing doesn't have to. Um, Mm. So I think picture books is a place where I've seen like the most kind of radical inclusion. So you'll get these like really specific, incredible picture book biographies about people like Althea Gibson, the tennis player, or Alma Thomas, the painter. And so you do see some of that. And that's mostly for the library market, though. And so those books don't really make it. I mean, they make it to your library, which is, I mean, that's, that's dope. But they're not built or they're not really. So the planning of those books isn't necessarily that you like run into them at your local independent bookstore or on Amazon. So it's just different. They planned for those to be smaller books. Um, But I think what's missing is still probably regular books about Black children just doing normal things. I think something that children's publishing has tried to remedy is making sure there's a lot more historic inclusion of figures. And it's still, there's a lot of work to be done, especially for teens and middle grade readers. But there aren't as many books about just like black children living their lives, you know, like the Ramona Quimby's of the world or, you know, like riding their bicycle, learning lessons, having friends. So you could more easily as a black child read about slavery than you could about childhood, for example, I think. So (laughs) Jesus Christ, you just hit me with a humdinger, yo. (laughs) Yeah. It's more. And you know what? As you're saying that, 
I think there's even sometimes, and I, I got to admit, I'm, I'm a part of this problem. It's like, you get so enveloped and just like, these are the things they're not teaching us. Um, that it can kind of become distorted in the reality that like, yeah, but kids also just need to see stories about being a kid. Yeah. Uh, not just about, you know, the ways in which black people have in- innovated and, 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 <laughs> and <laughs> cultivated and revolutionized, you know, like all of that is important um, and absolutely necessary, but like that, the context has to have a balance and it's fascinating to hear. I guess I'm so, I, I really am genuinely surprised that it's more, that you're more likely to hear like this historical stuff. Why do you think that is like, why do you, is, are we also not writing those kinds of stories? I think more now for sure. I mean, I can name, you know, like Jason Reynolds for teens or Ben Philippe or, um, uh, Lamar Giles, like I could, na- I'm mean, just naming for some reason, just like dude writers, my problem is, but, but yeah, I think some of them are being written now and there's a lens being pointed in that direction. But I think to begin with, I, they were looking at this library market and I think it's easier for some reason, maybe you have thoughts on this to think about, to not, to, it's still easier to just not humanize Black people who are living around you today. It's still easier to look back and quote Dr. King, you know what I mean? To look back and think about the civil rights movement. It's easier to love that, to love those figures that we've all cherished and learned about in history than it is to like turn to your neighbor or like Black folks in your neighborhood and say like, I want to know about you. I value you as a human. And I just feel like those instincts are the same in publishing. So I don't know if that if that's correct. No, that's just how I feel about it. Because when we when we iconicize people, it makes them no longer like human. They become more kind of like a caricature. And now you're like learning about like the movie of their life, which feels more um distant. Right. And I think that when something is more distant, it doesn't feel like you need to deal with it and it doesn't feel like your responsibility. And when we humanize kids and when we humanize black people, it becomes very real. That's why it's annoying to me when people say like, Amanda, can you give me a book list about racism? And it's like, well, you live in the world. Like you don't need a (laughs) book list. Like you live right here. Like you see it all the time. So why are you acting as if it's something like microbiology that you need to like Research, study and research, you know, um, but I completely I, I completely hear what you're saying. And I think when it comes to the humanizing of black children, I, I talked about this on the real, um, you know, because we still see that it's not even just the humanizing of the black of black children, but there's still a real aversion to actually like dealing with black children as children. Yeah. You know, like there's still this idea. I mean, when 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 that crazy bitch, you know, accused Keon Harold's son of stealing her phone and then she did this interview with Gail King, she's like, well, you know, this man, he's 14. She's referring to herself as a little girl. She's like, you know, I'm 21. I'm just a young woman. And, you know, this man stole my phone. It's like this is a 14 year old boy. The child's. Like like an actual child that you tackle to the ground. And it's not even like he's like, like, listen, when LeBron was 14, he was like 6'3". So it's not even like it was like, oh, I thought he was because, no, he looked like a child Mm -hmm. with his dad. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And yet it's still, I mean, if we go even to a more darker story, like Tamir Rice, you know, he was 12. And I had somebody say to me, like, very offhandedly recently, like, um you know, that he, they mistook him for older. And I was like, no, they did not. They just didn't care. Right. They yes. didn't protect him as younger. That's because right. there isn't, there isn't a, there isn't a, I feel like a, well, for a lot of people, black children just don't need protection. No, they're, they're actually who you need protecting from in a lot of scenarios. And I feel like the same goes for young black girls. I mean, like so many things, I mean, it's over-sexualization, like these are, it's just, I think all of this comes out in the, of all the media we consume, you know, I'm sure that like you feel the same way, like in terms of how 
black children are portrayed in film. I mean, I like, this is just true also of books, unfortunately. And I think there's no like lack of black folks writing great books and great stories, but I mean, there's Walter Dean Myers, who's like the architect of this like normal black childhood life, you know? And so in children's literature, but I just think publishing is now waking up to it and saying there's room for these stories and they don't have to necessarily be marginalized. Like people want to read. It's not just for our children to read about black children being, it's for your like white children need to see black children as human also. And not just like crystallized in history, but otherwise like predators in the world or, you know, whatever it is. So I think when publishing starts to realize that there's a market and white moms start to say, I want my kid to read about this like normal black girl living her normal life. Like that book is for my child too. Um, I think then you'll start to see maybe more of a tide change because sales talks a lot to the way that we publish too. So I think if you're a white listener out there and you, you have kids, like you should buy books, black stories for white children and whatever race your child is. It's so frustrating to me, but it is the reality that we always have to have such a politicization of everything, you know, that we do. Like, I feel like white writers, when they write a story about Ben and his favorite bear, it's just Ben and his favorite fucking bear. Like, that's it. When we (laughs) write a story about Kenya and (laughs) her kangaroo, you know, we have to think about so many things like, what skin color is Kenya going to be? What what hair type is Kenya going to have? You know, is she going to live with both her parents? Is she going to just live with one parent? Yes. It's, it's exhausting. It is exhausting. And it's not only that, but you bring that story to life. It then has to pass through the hands of all these other folks who are going to have input. And you have to be able to defend your choices and they're all meaningful. And they, because there's such a lack of representation, they have to represent more people than you, like, than you should have to represent in a book. Yes. Like you Kenya should be able to write be Kenya. No, Kenya she got to be everybody. Yes. She has to be Rio. She has to be Amanda. Like, it's just, yeah, it's just not fair. It puts this extra burden, I think, on Black authors too, to just get it, get it right. Get it absolutely right. So. So when you were writing your book, what were the types of burdens that you felt like you were dealing with when writing the ABCs of Black history? Yeah, well, this is- And then book- we're going to talk about the joys. Don't think we're just going to yeah. talk about it. Okay. <laughs> well, this is a history book. So it's kind of the, the kind of books that I'm talking about. It's not a book about regular life, but it's a poem. So the book is told as it's a rhyming poem. My background is in poetry. Um, and so I think- some of the big challenge for me or the elephant in the room as I wrote was, was having to address transatlantic slavery. It's like, I didn't have to, um, but I also want to be truthful about the world and context. And I think we, we don't give kids as much credit as they deserve for understanding for the being capable of understanding big ideas. Um, And so I didn't want to not include it. So I used it um, the way I addressed transatlantic slavery was in the letter D, D stands for diaspora. Uh, And I felt like that was one way to sort of talk about um, how diaspora became, which through through transatlantic slavery. So it's kind of just barely touched on. And it's mostly about how we're connected and we're all over the globe and we're connected in this way. That was like the big, that was the thing that was stressing me out was like, I want this to mostly be joyful and introduce people to like, folks in Black history that maybe they never heard about, like deep cuts, you know, for kids and and adults. And and I was like, but I also have to kind of talk about uh, how this, how some of this stuff happens or how this stuff becomes even more meaningful in the world, you know? So I think that was probably my biggest challenge. And then like writing a rhyming poem, you don't want to leave anybody out. Like there's just like so much that that was another anxiety. Do you feel like... um... Was it a hard sell, this book? No, not for me, because my editor is also a Black woman, and she's the editorial director at the publisher. And so she actually, she came to me and was so excited about this idea. And so I was really lucky that way. Um, 
And the illustrator is also, she's a black mom. And so it felt like a real, like a collaboration of people who really had common understanding. And if she had challenges at the publisher pitching this, I, she really protected me from those conversations. So I don't know. She may have, you know, she might have battle tales. I don't, I don't know. I don't know those stories. So, I mean, that's a unique story. You know what I'm saying? Because listen, like, I just feel like everybody who has some type of black book, like you got some certain level of battle tale about like <laughs> having to deal with the BS and it is definitely um, dope that she protected you in that way. And that she saw the value of this book off rip and, yeah. you know, understood what, why it needed to be written. So what were your joys in writing this? Yeah, well, that's a good, that's such a nice question. I think when my favorite part, when I started, I put like all these black history figures and terms on index cards and I taped them to our kitchen wall. And so one joyful part of making the book was that like, as we came into our apartment, it was like all this black history, literally color coded by letter on our wall. So that was really fun. So I like bought masking tape and like my partner and I would be like, all right, we got, how are we going to do? We got S, we got Stokely and S, but do we want to put him over here? We'd be like moving pieces around. And so the actual making of it was really fun that way. Cause I got to think about this stuff in an exciting way. And in like a way that just made me feel like proud and connected, um, like in our home for so long when I was revising it. So that was fun. Uh, and then rhyming is new to me. I'm not much of a rhyme. I'm, rhyme does not come naturally to me, um, but I kind of enjoyed being able to do that. So I've never written poems that rhyme or, or in verse. And so, you know, that you've, you've probably, I mean, I, I just was not an MC. I never really had this like opportunity. And so I felt like kind of in my own way, like an MC for the first time. So I got to Yay! like write this. <laughs> Well, so if, you wanna, was- if you want to, if you want to do a, a, a if you want to co-write a, a children's book with an MC, I am available. Um, <laughs> yeah, I love it. Because that is my bag. Me, it Ryan is. is my whole. That's my. That's my thing. Um, I know. That's why I said it. But I'm not. When I like my worst nightmare is like walking into like a cipher where people are like freestyle. That's like my worst nightmare. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me tell you. Uh, the second time I ever smoked weed was with the cool kids, currency, most death and Jay electronica. And we were at Dame Dash's studio. He used to have like a whole building called DD one seven two. And, um, what would happen on certain nights is that we would like, things would just like performances would just happen, you know, like it was just very spontaneous in that way. And so that evening that happened, like they had like a performance space downstairs and people just ended up like down there. And next thing you knew there was a band and these cats wow. was rhyming and I'm standing there and like a cypher had begun. And, <laughs> and it's not like with any, you know, regular old people. Yeah. Right. Right. And when the mic got passed to me, I couldn't remember anything I had ever written in my life. Like oh my literally, God. like the the Mary Jane had just went soup and just <laughs> took everything from my hippocampus, no. my frontal lobe. And I just was like, uh, uh, all <laughs> right, yeah, uh, uh, okay. And I'm just in my head, like, where is it? I, I picture. I picture like the weekend running through those halls during the Super Bowl, like trying to find the raps, trying to find the raps. And finally, I just started like freestyling. I can't tell you anything that I said, (laughs) but I only know that I held my own because they would have been clowning me to this day about it if I hadn't. And they right. never, <laughs> they right. never found me or maybe they were so high. They forgot too. but, uh, yeah, I know the feeling of rhyme not coming. That um, probably prepared you for so much like on the fly in life, you know, they would give you all kinds of strength. I can't even imagine. Listen, I'm, I have had to, I spoke to first graders earlier today and that was the most, 
difficult speaking engagement I have had in my life. Um, because I feel like every word I say is shaping their lives. That's <laughs> a lot of pressure. It yeah. is. Teaching the babies is stressful. People say to me all the time, like, Amanda, oh my God, when you're going to have kids, you're going to be such a good mom. Like my man is like, you know, I'm just like, I don't know. I don't know. He's like, you'd be a great mom. I'm like, I'm not questioning whether I'd be a good mom. I feel like I would be a good mom. I'm like, I think it's more so just, I don't know if the perfectionist in me could handle it because teaching children you're molding, you're just, you're literally like shaping the clay and I wonder just as a writer, like, did you feel that burden when you were right, when you were creating this? Yeah, I feel that. I mean, I feel that every day as a parent, but I Ooh, definitely, yeah, what's that like? <laughs> well, it's like you're saying, you got to let go. I mean, I'm a Virgo. I have some perfectionist vibes. Um, so I'm I a really, Virgo rising. So I, yeah. this is where we're at. You just have to let it. I mean, a lot of it, you just let it go because you can't be perfect all the time. But you do think about like, you. I'm sure you've met adults. I always think about this. I meet adults all the time who I'm like, someone said something to you that just like made you this way. You know what I mean? Like somebody said something that really affected you as a child. And here you are like as a grown up, like this is how important it is. How we like raise Yo, our children. I'm an adult and I remember <laughs> shit people said to me. That yes. I still have right here. My mom gets so irritated when I can pull something from like 1987, <laughs> like a Sunday evening in 1987, me. you said, and she's like, how, how do you remember this? I'm like, because it impacted me. <laughs> right. So you, I do think about that all the time and you never know what it's going to be. Like some, you, sometimes you'd be like, you'd be doing your very best as a parent. And then your kid will just recall something that you don't even remember that didn't even occur to you to be interpreted that way. Do so you I remember any instances like that with your daughter? I love your daughter, by the way. Like I, I, I follow her whole existence on your Instagram. She's perfect. Well, all day long. So my, my, my parents trying to get me to curse less around her because she's very like, she's getting language pretty good right now. And so I haven't been great at it. And so I'm always like, she's just not hearing me. Like, it's amazing. And somehow I'm having these very adult conversations and she's just not picking up. And then like the other day we were getting ready for bed and she was just like, I'm so fucking tired. And I was like, no. And he looked at me and he's like, I told you, I told you you need to like stop just living normally around our two and a half year old. She was like, mommy, I'm just so fucking tired. And I was like, oh, but I had to la- I had to leave so that I could also hysterically laugh because it was just so funny the way she said like her timing was just so in context like she right. used it, it properly perfect. right she understood the moment to use this you know this language so that's not the best example but I just feel like you just start to let shit go like if I I can't just worry about it all day. I mean I'm, I try my best you just try you just try your best you just try every day you know to like not get it wrong. And in the book, I did, I felt the same way, but I feel like the book is really affirming for children and it's for, I mean, it's for everybody, but it's, you know, it's for black children. A, I always say it's available to everyone <laughs> yes. for black children. It's for black children. And so there's like a couple of moments where I'm, I say you, like there's like, a, I'm addressing a you and that you is black children in the book. And I think it's mostly, you know, I thought about them a lot. And I think it's mostly just really affirming for them in those moments. It's about like celebrating them and and stuff. But yeah, as a parent, I've just had to let, I've just had to let stuff. I can't think about it all the time or I'd be going crazy. I would never do anything if I thought about how every word was going to affect my child. Let me tell you, these kids asked me my favorite color and I was like, okay. Well, what did you say? I said, pink is my favorite color. So then they, all the kids turned off their mics and were like, pink is my favorite color too. <laughs> pink, pink is my color. I, I was waiting to hear like, pink is the shit. You know what I'm like, <laughs> And so, but then I'm seeing like, then someone else was like, pink was formerly my favorite color. This is a first grader. Pink yeah. was formerly my favorite color, right? Formally. So then I felt like I needed to affirm everybody. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, 
you know, favorite colors are colors that make you feel joyful. So if your favorite color is pink or blue or orange or yellow, whatever your favorite color is, as long as it makes you feel joyful, it's beautiful. Like, like Everyone will feel included today. Yeah. Listen, it felt like writing an email (laughs) to somebody who did some shit I don't like that I can't tell them I don't like. Like, I have to just really craft 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 so like the whole time I mean some of the other questions they asked me were um sometimes they didn't even have a question like one little boy was just like I am a DJ I also am an actress and that's him he's I'm an actress I also am an artist um and um I also watched the proud family do you watch the proud family well let me tell you on the proud family there was an episode where uh the teacher said black history isn't isn't history and then the um penny proud was like actually black history is history and I'm just glad she said that because that's true so I also have a bicycle Yep, this is so accurate. This is this is and the way they think. Like just the synthesis. And then like this other little girl, um, she raised her hand. And so the teacher called on her and she was like, hello, my name is Colette. I am an artist because I go to art class. So that's why I'm an artist. And I am also, um, what do you, um, what do you, um, uh so uh what do you what do you what do you like to draw the most Mm. so I was like you know I really like drawing women and I like drawing hair like I love drawing hair like my hair is crazy so hair is my thing and she was like um I like drawing unicorns um and I was like well I'm not surprised because she was wearing a unicorn headband and a unicorn unicorn t-shirt and oh I was, and I and she was like, so I I I that's what I like. And I was like, well, I feel like you are a unicorn. And she was like, <laughs> oh my god, she felt so seen. She felt seen. She felt seen. You know. And yeah. and then there was another kid who was just like, so like, what do you do? <laughs> yeah, know? I love it. I love a skeptic, like a child skeptic. <laughs> yeah, like so. What do you? <laughs> I mean, like you're here and they said that you're important, but like, really, bitch, what's your purpose? <laughs> like, explain yourself. Yeah. And I was watching, um, I was watching uh, Fran Leibowitz. I've become recently obsessed with Fran Leibowitz. And she, Me too. I'm yes. obsessed. <laughs> and she was like, you know, I love talking to children. And people were like, really? She's like, people are always shocked that I love kids. But I love kids because there's no pretense. She's like, you know, kids aren't talking to you and trying to pretend to be smarter than they really are. <laughs> like, kids aren't trying to convince you that what they're saying makes sense or that it matters. Like, they're yeah. just talking to you. And she was like, you know, I appreciate the the purity and authenticity of conversation when you're speaking to kids. And That's so I wonder if as a writer, are when, when you're writing for children, are you thinking that way too? Yeah, I think it does challenge you to be more honest, for sure, because they 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 see right through things. I had somebody, I love, the school visits have been my favorite part of publishing this book, for sure, too. But I had one parent tell me that her daughter brought the book to school as, like, receipts that, like, slavery happened. So somebody challenged her or something, like a classmate of hers, and she, like, didn't tell her mom, like put the book in her bag and like pulled open to a page in the back. And she was like, right here, it says, you know, and so I love that is that they awesome. can do that. Yeah. It's, it's incredible. So you never know, like if this girl's going to have to defend her facts at school with this book, like all kinds of surprising, but like amazing little things happen with, with kids and the way they react to the book. So Queens, there's like Queens in the book and a lot of kids have have responded well to Queens, but I did a class visit recently to fifth graders and one little boy, this is how honest they are. She was just like, why, um, why didn't you do something else? Like become a scientist? Like, (laughs) I was like, yeah, I mean, when I was his age, science, what scientist was a, was a job that was a team. I was like, I'm going to be a scientist. I don't know what happens after that. Like, you know, (laughs) But he was just thinking, like, why would you just choose like this and not something like really important? 
like important work, like science. And I was like, you know, mind you, you're there with, with the book. And it's like, I, I see that you accomplished this, but you could have been so much more. Yeah. <laughs> this was your dream. And I'm like, it's, so they, they do, they keep it very real with you. It's fair. Listen, I, <laughs> I remember in fourth grade when Beth Moody said to me, um, she called me the M word. She called me the M word and she was Jewish. And I was like, well, your people kill Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I got in trouble, by the way. She did not. Wow. She did not. But I went to school in Orlando, Florida. So no surprise. <laughs> um, but they were like, you're, you know, that wasn't nice. And, and I'm like, I wasn't trying to be nice. Right. She was, she said some wild shit to me and I said some wild shit back. I mean, I didn't say that in these words, but I, that was my sentiment. Like, why was I, why did I gotta be nice? She wasn't nice. She wasn't nice. This situation was, but I'm just kicking the facts. And, (laughs) um, and so, you know, and and, and even though in my mind, those are the facts, those weren't the facts, but in my mind, those are the facts. And, Mm -hmm. you know, for what it's worth, I think, you know, when we talk about teaching children, I feel like the, the best books that I've read are books that meet kids where they are. You know, and like, I feel like that's what I aspire to whenever I talk to kids is to talk to them like where they're at, which is what you said. You said something earlier in the conversation where you say you feel like a lot of people don't give kids the respect um, that they deserve for like being able to handle big ideas. Like one of the kids this morning was like, did you know (laughs) that children have bigger imaginations than their parents? (laughs) (laughs) Like it's probably, that's probably very true. I was like, I mean, honestly, that's, tell me more. And she was like, well, I saw on a show called Brains Kids or Brainchild or something like that. And she just started spitting facts to me, honey. (laughs) You know, I just think, um, you know, when you hear a kid speak like that, it's because they have been in, like, they have been dealt with in a fashion that their thoughts matter. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and when I see children's books that that talk like that to kids, I really feel like, okay, we're getting somewhere. Because I know like the, the books that I was reading when I was younger were like, you know, Dr. Seuss and um, yeah. Goodnight Moon. And I'm not saying that those weren't cute, you know, and where the wild things are. But these kids are more advanced, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I mean, it feels like it. Like, I don't know what I was doing when... I read those books too. You know, I don't know what else, what I was looking for as a kid, but I feel like these kids are really, really bright. Like I'm talking mostly to fifth graders. So I haven't talked to a first grade class. So you probably, you've more first graders sounded like, I mean, like my partner's daughter is, I mean, you're having a conversation. Yeah. It's not like, Oh, I'm trying to figure it out. She's like, this is the Barbie. This is the Barbie plane. Like I got her a Barbie plane for Christmas and she gave us an entire demonstration (laughs) of the plane. And then she had fashioned it into her own liking. You know what I mean? Like she had brought in other animals and other characters and, you know, she had a whole story and there was a whole explanation and it was like, there was no, like, there was no doubt. There was no self-doubt. Yes, that's what it is. That's what's beautiful. I've seen that in some kids, but not, it's very rare, but I feel like Fran Lebowitz feels like they're, they're just incredible people because they're people that don't have things like self-doubt really percolating yet. And they're people who are really honest with you. Like there's nothing I can do to get my daughter to be less honest. Like, even if I, you know, like I can't, shame her like I can't I mean I could that'd be horrible but like I can't stop her from being herself like it is just it's just inevitable and there's just like something really beautiful about that like there's just no factor in the world like you're not reading cues you're not you know you're just you're you know what they are also I feel like kids do really well is live in the present and so if I ever like has been like really great during this whole pandemic it's like if I ever want to like you know, if I, my therapist just like, you need to live more in the present, like stop worrying so much about all these scenarios. And kids are really excellent teachers of this lesson. Like 
They are satisfying their needs in the present. They're getting their questions answered in the present. They're doing what brings them joy in the present. And I feel like I look to her all the time and I'm like, that's, I'm just going to follow your lead. Cause like, this is, you know, you're not worried about like, what if, you know what I mean? Like you're just kind of, I don't know, you're just doing what makes you happy right now. So they're, they're an incredible audience for sure. What are some, so I know we have a lot of listeners who are parents and, you know, who, even if they aren't like parenting a child, they're, they're child adjacent. Um, So like, what are some, if you have any suggestions of some books or authors that, you know, folks can look to um, of all age groups, you know, but that, that you feel like speak to you and that you would share with your daughter as she grows? Yeah. I love uh, Faith Ringgold's Tar Beach. It's my favorite picture book of all time. Mm. Read it. It's like, it is not based in history. It's this beautiful book. It's the story of this girl, like hanging out on the roof of her building in Harlem or Washington Heights while her parents and the neighbors play cards. And she just imagines like flying above the city. She flies above her dad's union job. She flies above the George Washington Bridge. And as she flies above all these things, she becomes like the master of her world. And I read it and I want to cry. But I, just, I literally but my have chills. I know, I but my, <laughs> it's so good. Um, and she just comes back to the roof and she's next to her little brother. And it's just like this beautiful, my child views it differently. She just sees a flying girl and it's just fun for her. But I, I feel I'm impacted emotionally by it. And Faith Ringgold's art is incredible. As you know, like she's just legendary. So that one I really like. Um, and then I'm, I'll do picture books. There's another one called Another, which has no words, which is pretty amazing. It's a Black illustrator by named Christian Robinson. And it's the story of this little girl, little Black girl and her cat. And through a portal of light in her bedroom, another identical little Black girl and a cat appear. And she, it's like, is she imagining them? But they go through the story. The only difference is this cat's collar, the color of the collar. And they are, it's called another because it's like another of her. And they go through these incredible adventures and his drawings are amazing. And then at the end, it's like she's going to sleep and she's imagined this all day. But there's like a light shining on the collar, which is still on the floor, the cat's collar. And so you're like, is there, you know, like, did this happen or did this not happen? But what's cool about a wordless picture book is you kind of just talk through the book with like, my, my daughter's not reading words. She's a touches too. So she loves to just talk through the picture she's seeing, like have a conversation about it. And it's one of my favorite books to do that with because she can just show me kind of like what she's seeing and kind of like make the story up. So those are two that I really love, but I feel like I could go on and on, but those are my favorites. So how would you want folks to read your book to their kids? <sighs> yeah. I think because it's a rhyming verse, I hope that it's like a good read aloud, you know? So it's one of that kind of, it flows. I've had to read it a lot at story times and things virtually lately. And I think the rhyme helps you get through some of the big ideas, but you might want to pause with your kid. And that's my dream scenario is that you maybe pause in the text and you talk a little bit about who you know, or what you're seeing, you know, like my mother, who's an adult black woman, didn't know a lot of the people in the book. And so her and her neighbor went like letter by letter and discovered, like they went through and watched like Star Trek episodes and like they went through and like really dug deep as adults. And that's dope too. But for kids, I think if you just pause and kind of my dream is that you pause and talk a little bit more about your experience in, in what you're reading. The Trekkie in me has to know who is featured in the in the book. Is it uh, Lieutenant Uhura? Yeah, exactly. So that those sorts of things where they would like go back and kind of use media and whatever to like yeah. you know, to kind of. I'm gonna get my mom this book. By the way, my cat is named after Lieutenant Uhura. Her name is really. Rita. Oh no way. Um. No, like I'm going to get my mom this book. You know, my mom is from Grenada. And so like, there's just a lot of like history that she's just learned in the, in the path of parenting me in America. And like for my mom's 70th birthday, she wanted to go to Memphis and we were like, what? What? (laughs) That's so random. Um, 
And she was like, no, I want to go to Memphis. I want to go to the Civil Rights Museum. I want to go to Watts Stacks. I want to see the Mississippi River. That is what I want to do. And oh my so my aunt and my mom and I went to Memphis for three days and we went, we did all those things. Uh, we did not go to Graceland because fuck Graceland. And yeah. we went to... Um, and we went to uh, uh, the Underground Railroad Museum, which was basically a house that was used in the Underground Railroad. I've been there. It's so Listen, tiny. It's so tiny. Yeah. And they had like us and these like seven white people singing uh, Swing Low Sweet Chariot. <laughs> <laughs> just literally like in this room, like Swing Low Sweet Chariot. Oh my <laughs> God. <laughs> and also very necessary. Um, yes. But, you know, so books like this, like my mom, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners and myself included, I love children's books because I still appreciate the art that's being juxtaposed with the messaging. And so I wondered if you could just tell us about the art in your book as well. Yeah. So it's all... Um... Lauren Summer illustrated it, and she's this is her first children's book too. Kind of lights, and she's great. So um, we never communicated at all in the making of this book, which is bizarre. We only talked through our editor. So, like, I would so send a draft. Did they pair her with you? Yeah. Okay. So my editor selected her as the illustrator for this book. It doesn't always work that way in picture books, but it actually happens that way a lot. Um, and so I would set the draft to my editor and then my editor would send the draft to Lauren and Lauren would, I would get a draft of Lauren's drawings and we would talk about like, actually, you don't have to say this because Lauren's going to show this picture of Basquiat on this page. So let's change the text so that you don't have to say that out loud. You know, you know, those sorts of things happen back and forth for two years. And then Lauren and I never met until like four weeks ago, we ran into each other at a bookstore, which was like the weirdest feeling in the world. <laughs> like so wait, it wasn't like, even a planned meeting. It was just spontaneous. No, we just kind of, we, we were both at the same bookstore to sign copies of the book at the same time. And, <laughs> and we, we met one another. And since then we've done some events together and stuff, but it was just like such a bizarre collaboration with this mystery woman <laughs> but she did an amazing job and she talks a little bit about like illust- what's it, what what it's like to illustrate dark-skinned children um yes. because a lot of times they would say like they have all these different things I never even thought about about like the printer not being able to make the quality right and so she would have to highlight different lines I've heard about these things in photography but I had never thought about them in the way that you illustrate yeah, so she talks a little bit about that, but she's amazing. And I think she does a really good job at showing the spectrum of black children. And she has like a little, they have, kids have a little 70s vibe and like cool 70s prints and stuff. Yes. So, yeah. No, I mean, th- that's, that's what I was going to say. I, I, I realized I didn't finish my thought about my mom, but like the, when, when the illustrations are paired with this, these, these facts and this information, it can bring about kind of like a, it's just a new way of, of, of understanding new concepts. And even if you're a grown adult, you're just like, oh, this is cool. You know, you know, and it's just, and it can be an entryway into info that you just would not have stumbled upon in the nonfiction adult reading world. Yeah. You know, and so like I'm 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 a thousand percent sure that there are adults who are reading this with their kids. And then like you said about your mom and her friends, like having to step off and like do further research. Cause it's <laughs> like, why did not know that? You know, uh, yes. Yes. well, I got to tell you, Rio, I think this is fabulous. Um, and I, I'm curious, do you have any plans to write another book? Um, yeah. cause two years is a long time, baby. I know about it. it, it I I, we had we bought small doses at the Schomburg um, from Abrams. Yes, so you did. Yeah, yeah. So I know you know it's a process. Um, but I have another children's book uh, that that I'm just finishing now, and it's kind of talks about more. It's my grandma and I, but also some Orishas. So Yamaya is in it. So 
things like that. And then I'm writing a little bit about my family in Utah, my black, on the adult part of my writing, um, about the the Negro pioneer, as it were, or folks who pioneered the West early on. I didn't write about the Negro near. <laughs> about the Negro near. Like, I want merch, okay? <laughs> like, I want rims on a wagon. I want rims on a wagon. So. Oh my God. I'm going to be thinking about that. How I, I wish I were an illustrator sometimes. I'm like, I can't, we draw and everything. I can't like draw to save my life, but I'm like, that's, I can see that. I need that. Right. Like I just need, I need that. I need a drop top wagon. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like I want, oh my God. <laughs> I want a wagon with like Louis print. Like I just need, <laughs> I need that. Uh, and- Oh, somebody draw that, draw that for me. The Negro Near as an aesthetic is, I can, I feel like I can really go far with that. Go many places. (laughs) The last dose. Well, I'm so happy to hear that you are um, being prolific in your writing and bringing stories you know, to the page that need to be told and, you know, just continuing the tradition of the black narrative, uh, because it's imperative that we tell our own stories and that we communicate our own stories. And, and, and like you said earlier, not for, not just for us, but for the world. Yes. Yeah. You know, and really just disrupting the space with truth of our own existence and doing so loudly and boldly and, um, and in rhyme. <laughs> yeah. If you can do it, you should. Do it. <laughs> it's hard. There you go. You just did it. If you hey. did it. Hey. <laughs> so you all make sure to get Rio Cordez's New York times, bestselling children's book, the ABCs of black history and uh, share it with the young people in your life or just get it for yourself and support a black woman author and support just this, like you said earlier, support that this content matters. And the truth of the matter is that we live in a capitalist society where the best way of supporting things is by putting your money behind it. Yeah. And if you don't have money to put behind it, share it on your Instagram. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me, Amanda. Thank you so much, Rio. And thank you for always being a champion of my work and of other create Black creatives and the work you all are doing at the Schomburg has always been necessary and exceptional. So keep on keeping on. (laughs) We will. Thank you. Thank you. A podcast network.